Hallelujah. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another marvelous episode of CFB Nation, hosted by me, Lever KT, aka the Governor of College Football. And listen, listen, listen. This this preview is about to get lit. We're about to talk about a lot of interesting things. So on today's slate, we're gonna talk about that USC versus Oregon State game. I think I think it got to make us have a pretty good game out west. Also, we're gonna talk about the Southwest Classic. We talking about Arkansas versus Texas and them. I also think that has a making for a good game. This week floor slated games, just like week three. We're gonna to start to see the separation of powers. And also we're 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 just gonna get some really good games. I think I think it should be a better week than week three. Also we're gonna talk about that Florida Tennessee matchup. Some of these games are weird because you look at last year's game, you'd be like, you know, there were some dominant performances. But this year it's going to be a little bit different. We also got Clemson versus Wake. I think they got the makings of a damn good game as well. Then we're going to get into some bold predictions. Hey, man, y'all go get y'all something to eat, whatever y'all need to do. Sit back. Kick up with your boy Lever KT for the next 30 minutes. Also, shout out to all the overwhelming love we've been getting on. Not only just Spotify, but on Twitter, on Anchor. The community is really embracing me, and I truly appreciate that. But let's get into our first segment. We're talking about USC versus Oregon. This series dates back all the way to 1914. And some of these series we see, like, these games have 100-plus years of, 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 of playing this game that we love. USC leads the series 63-12 to 12 in, in, in four ties. Um, Oregon won last year's game convincingly 45-27. to 27. But we all know that this USC team this year is different from last year's USC team. As you see, Keenan Slovis throwing the ball now. He's now at Pitt. Speaking of Pitt, Jordan Addison transferred over from Pitt. Before we get into this game, let's talk about the Heisman watch a little bit. And next week, I'm going to see if we can get Jalen Wilson on the show to talk more about the Heisman watch. But when I look at the Heisman watch right now, that if, if we're thinking about the players that matter. Yes, even though Alabama had a bad performance versus Texas, Bryce Young still gave us a memorable moment. Stetson Bennett is playing lights out right now. Who else is playing really well? Marvin Harrison Jr. could be considered a dark horse. He's playing really well right now. Michael Penning Jr. can also be considered a dark horse if Washington continues to play the way that they're playing. But Caleb Williams right now is my favorite to, to win the Heisman. I think this offense is very quarterback friendly. We've seen him develop as a pocket passer. He can still doing it, running a rock. So long story short, this will be a tall order for Oregon State this week, even though they had the impressive victory last year. USC is averaging 50 points per game. Their opponents are only averaging 19 points a game. So you think USC, you think of the offense, you you think of Caleb Williams, you think of Jordan Addison, you think of Mario, Mario Williams, who's having a great year, by the way. I know uh, Jordan Addison uh, gets a lot of the the hype, but Mario Williams is secretly having a great season, and he picks up a lot of first downs for them. So Travis Dye and Austin Jones collectively, for some reason we're starting to see a stable running backs in the Pac-12 where, where, where it's duos. But they had 425 yards on the season, five touchdowns, averaging 7.8 yards per carry. So they're definitely doing it through the air and through the ground. Jordan Addison and Mario Williams, they have 30, collectively they have 30 catches. 489 yards, the average is 16.3 yards per catch, six touchdowns, and I believe Jordan Addison has five of those touchdowns. 
USC defense, in my opinion, isn't getting enough height. They got 14 sacks on the season, seven interceptions on the season, three forced fumbles. They are better than advertised. Shane Lee and company are definitely better than advertised. And one thing I like about their defense is if they force a turnover, they're not looking just to cover up the ball. If it's an interception, they're looking to take it to the house. So let's let's talk about Oregon uh, side of things. These teams kind of mirror each other. The first thing that I notice, time of possession is the stat. Whenever I'm looking into these games, I evaluate these games. Time of possession is like the key stat for me. Both teams are definitely middle of the road. Not only in time of possession, they both average roughly 30 minutes a game in time of possession. That's half of the game, of course. Also, they're both middle of the road on third down conversions. Um, and both teams are averaging, I think, that uh, Oregon State is at 44% third down conversion rate. And then USC is at 48% third, uh, third down conversion rate. So let's talk about some of the key players for the Oregon State side of the thing. We got Chance Nolan, quarterback. He got seven touchdowns, two interceptions on the season at 62% completion percentage. Not bad. That's, that's not bad at all. But I believe in college you should be in that high 60s, low 70s if you want to be an elite quarterback. Deshaun Fenwick, Damian Martinez collectively have 323 yards. Not bad. Oregon defense, they only have three sacks on a year. Six interceptions, which isn't bad. So the thing as far as this game is concerned that, that that bothers me on the Oregon State side is can they muster up enough pressure to make Caleb Williams uncomfortable, which is very difficult to do because not only can he beat you from the pocket this year, he, he can also beat you running the rock. I think USC just has too many weapons. I think USC defense is playing better than expected, and they're definitely better than advertised. Give me USC in this game by a couple of scores. I say 42-21. Um, give me USC big. Let's talk about the Southwest Classic. We're talking about Arkansas versus Texas A&M. This should be interesting. This game should be interesting for a couple of reasons. One, because we got a good game last year. And I, and I think it'll be another good game this year. Definitely some some changing uh, of, of faces on the Texas A&M side. Out Zach Calzada, enter Max Johnson, who played decent enough to get him a win versus Miami last week. But let's talk about the history of the Southwest Classic. This is the upcoming 79th game. Arkansas leads the series 42-33-3, to so the series is pretty close. And last year, Arkansas won the game 20-10. to we got to see Malik Horns be in that game last year. I believe K.J. Jefferson exited the game for a minute last year. Damn good game. I, I do remember watching this game in its entirety. So what we know about each team so far. Both teams have had notable bad performances that, that really stick out to you. So the Texas A&M, and let me preface this by saying this. Texas A&M has a really good defense. We all talk about how bad the offense is how uh, antiquated the, the offense is. But they have a really good defense. So what we know, Texas a they had that bad loss against Appalachian State. They lost 17-14. Not saying Appalachian State isn't a good team, but it's just with the pieces that Texas A&M have, no way they should have lost their game. Now, Arkansas really struggled with Missouri State last week, and that opened my eyes a little bit, especially because they look so pers- uh, they look really good against South Carolina. Raheem Sanders is also a dark horse for the Heisman. Can he win it? I doubt it, but he's also a dark horse for the Heisman. And Arkansas also trailed a good portion of that game, but it ended up putting the game out 38-27. So that's what stands out to me about both teams so far. They both had bad performances, and if either team shows up and have a bad performance this game, this game can get ugly early. 
key matchup. And I talk about offense coordinator Kendall Browse quite often because I believe he needs to open up the playbook and have more trust in KJ Jefferson. So the key matchup is Arkansas's offensive coordinator, Kendall Browse, his veteran shoot offense versus DJ Durkin, 425 defense. So the veteran shoot offense, for you, those of you who don't know, is 11 to 12 personnel. The goal is to set up the run by passing a rock. So Arkansas, I like their offense. I think I'm more nitpicky about their offense than most because I feel like they don't take enough shots. It's plain and simple as that. This DJ Durkin's defense, that dink and dunk is not going to work against this defense. This defense held App State to 17 points. Defense held Miami to 14 points. And and I believe that's a high-powered offense. So I think in order for Arkansas to win this game, they're going to have to be able to take shots. They're going to have to be able to find ways to manipulate this DJ Durkin 425 defense. Texas A&M defense is only giving up eight points per game. Their offense is only scoring 20 points per game. That's that's the issue. Through three games, if your team is only giving up eight points a game, you're a pretty dang good football team. But if your offense, this is college football, it's not the NFL. And even in the NFL, that's not that great. 20 points per game offensively, we, we got to fix that. And most of the points are honestly coming from the same Houston game. They entered 30s one time. The other two games, they've been in the teens. I think they scored 31 points versus Sam Houston. Can Daryl Dickey get more out of this Texas A&M offense versus the Arkansas team? I don't know. Because I've seen phases in the Missouri State game that they were able to move the ball on Arkansas. i seen in the South Carolina game they were able to move the ball. And also the Cincinnati game, which surprised me the most, is that Cincinnati was able to move the ball. And it was, it was weird to me because even though Cincinnati returned all of its offensive linemen, got one of the best offensive lines in the nation, it surprised me how Easy, they were able to move the ball when, you know, Cincinnati, in my opinion, doesn't have the talent at the skill set positions offensively, you know, versus Arkansas and what they have defensively. So let's get back to this game. Predicting this game is was very difficult for me. Not going to lie to you. Just, just being honest, Arkansas right now looks like they – that they are the better team, even in in the sloppy performance versus Missouri State. Right now, offensively, they can do more than what Texas A&M has been able to do offensively. I did pick Texas A&M in that game versus Miami. This game is not going to be high scoring. Give me Arkansas in another game similar to last year. Give me Arkansas 24-17 to because that seems to be the magic number for Texas A&M. Up next, let's talk about this Florida-Tennessee game. This game certainly has to make it to what could possibly be the game of the week. You think about Hendon Hooker. You think about Anthony Richardson. You think about what both of these teams bring to the table. And, hey, it, it definitely got to make us a, of a good game. We seen last year Florida dominated in this game. But this, their first game of this series was in 1916. This is a 52nd meeting of this team. Florida leads the series 31-20. And Florida won last year's game 38-14. to So that's what you need to know about this game. What you need to know about each team before this game starts. Tennessee is averaging a whopping 52 points per game. 52 points per game. That's that's crazy that Tennessee is averaging that. One uh, statistic I believe that Tennessee needs to improve is time of possession. I told you on the opening, time of possession is, is a really important stat to me. Uh, they're losing by an average of seven minutes per game. That's an eternity in college football. I think that's two possessions in college football. 
And their third down percentage is middle of the road, around 40%. Florida is averaging 25 points per game, allowing 26 points per game. And somehow they are 2-1. and one. And they're losing time of possession by eight minutes. This, that, that can't happen, especially when you get into the core conference schedule games. SEC is the toughest conference to play in. That cannot happen when you're losing time of possession by seven to eight minutes. So they both both teams need to do a little bit better. And their third down percentage is also middle of the road at 39%. So that's what you need to know about both of these teams as we kind of look like look at this from a boxing perspective, tail of the tape. Key matchup. Anthony Richardson. <laughs> and what we're looking for in the, uh, with Anthony Richardson is decision-making his ability to, to win from the pocket, zero passing touchdowns on the season through three games, zero passing touchdowns, versus Tennessee defensive coordinator Tim Banks and his multiple four-two-five defense that runs a lot of two high safeties. Their defense kind of sim- very similar to Buffalo Bills and uh, Leslie Flazier's defense, bend or break, we want to get pressure on the quarterback. They're going to keep everything in front of them. They're going to force Anthony Richardson to beat them. They're going to force him to have to make those important throws from the pocket. So that's my key matchup. Anthony Richardson versus Tim Banks. I know a lot of times we want these key matchups to be skill positions. I'm going to always look at the X's and O's. I'm going to look at the the, the players sometimes, but most of the time I'm going to look at the coaches and how the coaches are going to attack this game. That's exactly how Tim Banks is going to attack this game. He's going to utilize the spy. And they're going to try as much as they can to utilize those two high safeties. They're not going to let anything happen over the top. They're going to keep everything in front of them. And they're hoping at some point this annoys Anthony Richardson and he tries to make a play they shouldn't play. I think the biggest difference in this game, we talked about it, is Hendon Hooker's ability to make plays from the pocket and with his legs. He's able to pick up third downs, running the ball. He's able to pick up third downs from the pocket Tennessee is one of the best teams in the SEC. Do they have things they need to clean up? For sure. Penalties is one of them. Time possession is another. I, I hate the fact that they're losing time possession by an average of seven minutes a game. That could be two possessions. One possession. We can consider it one. But I say that's two possessions in college football. Give me the Volunteers 31-17. to 17. And I hate for it to to that's a big victory in my opinion in in a game of two teams that that they're they're close Tennessee is clearly better at this point but they're, they're closer than what people expect and then you look at last year's game but I think Tennessee just has too much offensively I think they'll be able to get more stops defensively than Florida defense will be able to stop y'all already know how I feel about Bill Napier love love the guy as a coach. But like I said, give me Tennessee in this game, 31-17. Up next, let's talk about Clemson versus Wake Forest. This game arguably may be the hardest one to call of them all. It may be because you you don't know what you're going to get from Wake Forest because when somebody has been beating you the way Clemson has beat up little bro, Wake Forest, it's, you know, sometimes it's just it's sad in that we can't beat these dudes. And sometimes that may be the worst thing that could possibly happen. So Clemson leads this series a whopping, listen to this, 69-17-1. to 17 and one. This is that 87 meeting. Clemson is currently on a 13-game winning streak. That's when sometimes, hey, we big bro, you little bro, we're going to beat you. And it's that simple. But at some point, little bro has to fight back. 
So let's talk about what we know about both teams so far. Clemson DJ, you I talked about this in the last episode. He's struggling taking those shots down the field that Trevor Lawrence were able to do. It's still a similar system. It's still a power spread that Deshaun Watson was able to do. Hell, Kelly Bryant from time to time was able to do. And Taj Boyd was able to do. So when I think about the quintessential Clemson quarterback, they're able to run a rock, able to throw the rock, and then whenever they need to make a throw downfield, they're able to make the throw downfield. DJU was struggling. He's only, you know, I think 63rd in the nation, 7.6 yards per attempt. That's not going to do it. After missing the opener, so so what we know so far, both teams. After missing the opener, same Hartman has put together two back-to-back impressive performances. I believe that the Vandy performance was more impressive than the Liberty one. Either way, he was able to get the, the, the rust off from, from, from having the procedure that he had. So those are the key matchups. This is what, I'm sorry, those are what we know so far. We know that DJU is struggling. We know that Sam Hartman is trying to get his feet, but he's still looking impressive and trying to get his feet under him. So let's talk about the key matchup. I think a lot of people will assume coming into the segment, the key matchup for me will be Wake Forest offense versus Clemson's defense. No, I wouldn't invert it because I already know though that's strength versus strength. I wanna I wanna talk about if you wanna call this a weakness for both teams, hey, let's let's call it that. Brandon Streeter's power spread for Clemson. And we know what the power spread features. It features a lot of quarterback runs, it features a lot of RPOs, it features a lot of read options. This is the base of this offense. They've been running this offense for years, and they've been successful with this offense for years. Versus Brad Lambert's multiple four two five, he runs a lot of his own coverage, and then he's only allowing him and his defense. I shouldn't just say him. A twenty percent conversion rate on third downs. That's pretty damn impressive when you look about it in the grand scheme of things. Only allowing twenty percent. On third downs. So what what do those stats tell me about that the key matchup? It tells me a few things. First thing it tells me is that Clemson is going to struggle on third and eight and long. That's just what the numbers tell you. DJU definitely be able to run and pick up some first downs, but third and eight and longer, third and even third and seven and longer, if you look at his average, if you look uh look at uh this Wake Forest defense and the the conversion rate of 20%, that's solid. That's very solid. That's that's where you want to be. I just don't see how Clemson wins this game, even with them being big brother for so long. The playmakers that they have on their side, when you when you think about A.T. Perry, when you think about Sam Hartman, this offense can really move the ball, and this offense can really put up some points. Even in a game that Sam Hartman wasn't there, we, seen, we still seen A.T. Perry go off. So, this is my feeling about the game. Wake Forest is averaging 42 points per game. They're operating at a 94% clip when it comes to red zone points. Like, getting points in the red zone is another important statistic for me because a lot of teams get greedy. They'll go for on fourth and one instead of you know, because, you know, either they don't trust their kicker, uh, kicker or they just have too much trust in their ability to pick up those fourth and ones. But they're 16 of 17 in the red zone and scoring points, whether it be touchdown to, uh, to kicking field goals It's important Once you get in the red zone You need to score points 94% clip I love it Clemson has a quarterback controversy We all know it Even though Cade hasn't really played that great If you ask me But 
I, I believe that will be the storyline for them all season. And it will definitely begin after this game. Give me Wake Forest 31 to 20. So let's get into some of our bold predictions for this upcoming week. We got an interesting, you know, slate of games this week. So, first thing first, let's talk about the team flying under the radar that you should pay attention to this week. Kansas is 3-0. I know, it, it sounds crazy. Kansas is 3-0. It, it, it sounds crazy. But they have impressive victories over West Virginia, who's a team I respect, even though they got a losing record. And they also have a victory versus Houston. They're playing this week a really good Duke team. Both these teams are kind of flying under the radar. And Duke has impressive victories over Northwestern and Temple. I think that we're going to kind of find out what both of these teams are. But in this game, give me Kansas. So if there's a team flying under the radar, you're flicking through the TV, you see this Kansas-Duke game, kind of pay attention to it. See what you get out of it. Upset of the week. What is Lever KT's, a.k.a. the governor, upset of the week? Well, of course I'm going to the Pac-12 because you know, that's where upsets are born. Washington State over Oregon is my upset pick of the week. Oregon played very impressive versus BYU. They looked damn good. They dominated in that game in Austin Stadium. It was, it was pretty good to see them look like the team that they, they were of old. Washington State's defense is averaging five sacks per game. Just under five sacks per game. They got 14 total sacks on the season. I think they're going to rattle Bo Nix. And I think they're going to make that offense uncomfortable. And I think they're just going to find a way to, to pull that out. So that's my upset pick of the week. Give me Washington State over Oregon. Game of the week. I think game of the week would be Minnesota versus Michigan State for a couple of reasons. Michigan State. State did not look good versus Washington last week. We're not going to sugarcoat, not going to sugarcoat that at all. Minnesota leads the nation in time of possession. That's an impressive stat right there. That's my type of stat right there. That's that's the governor. Governor liked those stats. So I think that has the possibility to be game of the week. And then I think all of our game of the week predictions that we've done in our bowl prediction segment, we've been kind of spot on. We did it with the Pitt versus WVU week. One game where Pitt was able to edge that out on a walk-off style pick six. You can argue it wasn't a game of the week, but it it for for sure is definitely top three, top four games of that week. Week two, we predicted that Pitt Tennessee would be game of the week. Hey, we we did pretty well with that prediction as well. So my game of the week this week: Minnesota versus M- M- MSU, Michigan State. I just want to see how Mel Tucker and company rebounds after that loss to Washington. And I want to see it. Just Minnesota's uh, team for real. Like I said, number one in the country time possession. Performance of the week. Devin Leary, I'm calling you out. You have struggled this season. 59% completion percentage. Yeah, you guys are 3-0. We seen you struggle against ECU in a game that I predicted you all to lose. You didn't lose. You were able to win the game over a bot snap. But Devin Leary, he's playing UConn. Everybody seems to get their their grip together versus UConn, except for Utah State. Outside of that, UConn has not played very well at all. So I believe that this is the week that Devin Leary puts up those crazy numbers that may ultimately help get him draft. But 59% in college football, that's not going to cut it. Lastly, games to watch. Actually, food to eat and games to watch. Food to eat. 
typically when I'm watching my Buffalo Bills on Sundays, Mondays, you know, because they're, they're America's darling now, I I typically go with nachos. Loaded nachos is my thing. I'm vegan, so I have to veganize my loaded nachos for everybody who's listening. But because I have to work early Sunday morning, I'll miss a good portion of the, the Bills game. So this week, Saturday, we're going with loaded fries. So that's the food to eat. All right, so big news Saturday. You want to be watching Clemson versus Wake on commercial halftime. You want to watch Baylor versus Iowa State. 3.30 slot. Florida versus Tennessee is the game that you want to be watching. No commercial break at halftime. You want to watch that Oregon-Washington State because I'm predicting an upset there. 7 p.m. slot. There's no other game to watch, in my opinion, but the Southwest Classic. Some people may argue Wisconsin Ohio State, but I'm going with the uh, Southwest Classic for my money. Do a commercial at halftime. You want to watch Wisconsin versus Ohio State. So those are my bold predictions for the weekend. You know, some kind of like a guideline of, of what to expect in this week four. Let's get to the closing. So this is week four. Do not pay attention to the graphic over there. Actually, we're just going to go back to the welcome graphic. So thank you all for tuning in to this show. I love doing this. I, I absolutely love my job. I wish this was my full-time job. As I always like to say, do something nice for somebody you normally wouldn't do. Always pay it forward. Peace and love. Peace and blessings. And until next time, 